tricksters, jokers and harlequins have appeared for centuries throughout many cultures. The court jesters of medieval England, clowns of ancient Egypt, ancient Rome's the stupidest figure. Literary critic Edmund de Goncourt, who wrote, The clown's art is now rather terrifying and full of anxiety and apprehension. Their suicidal feats, their monstrous gesticulations and frenzied mimicry remind one of a lunatic asylum. Karen Tootin of Post Reason blog describes an incident that happened to her in the mid-1970s. She says, When I was 17, I was working in a small convenience store when a woman came in to buy cigarettes. At first, I didn't pay any attention to her until I saw her hand when she handed me the money. It was not like a normal human hand. This startled me, so I looked up and I saw a very pale entity wearing a thin black coat like a raincoat, with a collar turned up to cover her neck, a heavy, long-haired wig, and very large black glasses. This did not entirely hide her strange face, a very pointed chin, scant lip and nose. She did not speak, took her cigarettes and left. I was kind of stunned. Oddly, I cannot remember the details of her hand, and yet it was the first thing I noticed. Nor do I think she left in a car, which was odd, since most patrons drove up the store, as it was somewhat isolated. I wasn't paying much attention until I saw her hand. She was startlingly strange-looking. Other details that really jumped out at me, like her hand, were her facial features were not human-looking. Whatever she was, the memory of her face has stuck with me to this day. But what I find really odd is that her hand, I cannot remember. The visual is completely gone. As to the gender of the cigarette lady, I've never been certain of that. Well, prior to this, as described in John Keel's Mothman's Prophecy, and indeed in the Sarasota Journal, a Mrs. Shirley Cromarty, a part-time housekeeper at President Nixon's Key Biscayne residence, insisted that after being arrested for shoplifting dresses, she had been hypnotised to do so by a strange woman wearing a wig. She explained that upon arriving at the store parking lot, a strange woman approached her, asked her the time, and then ordered her to steal the dresses. Said Mrs. Cromarty, I just sort of lost my will. It was a terrifying experience. Whatever that young woman did to me, it was like being in a sleepwalk, only awake. She described the mysterious stranger as being attractive, young, and wearing a wig. When the person raised her hands... This seemed to hypnotise the housekeeper, whose background was vouched for as being impeccable by a senior figure in the FBI. A psychiatrist, on examining her, said he believed her story was truthful. In Stratford, Ontario, in the afternoon of April 25, 1978, ufologist Pat de la Franier was at his office going over some UFO sighting reports that he intended to present to a local UFO group when there was a knock at the door. Usually, he could hear everyone coming in the main door, being admitted, and then walking down the hall. But this knock came from nowhere. When he opened the door, there was a very odd-looking man standing there, dressed all in black, about five feet six inches, and extremely thin. His head was slightly enlarged, his lips were very thin, and his cheeks were so sunken in that they looked like they were pinned on the inside. His eyes were dark and huge. They literally wrapped around his temples. 
Lafrenier stated that he had never seen eyes like that and that they just bored into him. The stranger just stood there, staring at Lafrenier, and he felt as though he was being mentally intruded upon. After this went on for what seemed at least a minute, the stranger then spoke. Would you like a photograph of your family? The stranger's voice was very strange. It was faltering, as if this man had no conception of how to speak or put a sentence together. When Lafrenier answered no, the stranger stepped backwards, turned and simply disappeared. Later, Lafrenier would realise that many of his important files had disappeared. Frank Taylor, in his work, The Uninvited, describes the case of David Ellis and his wife Caroline, who were landlords of a pub in Derbyshire in the early 1980s, when they were called upon at just after dawn one morning. Two men in black, wearing matching suede gloves, and who looked like twins, had arrived on their doorstep that early morning. They insisted on entering, and as they did, they removed their hats, where it was seen that they were both completely bald. What the couple most noticed, however, was that both men appeared to be wearing lipstick. After this visit, the husband and wife started to receive weird telephone calls. They could not decipher who was calling them, but their voice was strangely metallic. In another strange case, an English female healthcare assistant told UFO Evidence Organisation about her series of odd encounters. One evening in October 2014, at almost midnight, she was alone in her kitchen when the security light outside her home came on. Concerned that it may be a fox trying to get at the chicken she kept in the garden, she got a torch and went outside to investigate. As she approached the chicken pen, she saw a figure standing to the side. She shone the torch in his direction and saw there were two figures standing there. They appeared to be men of extremely tall height, over six feet six. She shone the light at the closest figure's face. Immediately, she heard a voice saying, please turn out the light. She shone the torch into his face. His face should have been there, she said, but all I saw was a pointed mouth and glasses. Both of them were now telling her to turn off the torch. She complied. She said they asked if I had seen anything untoward. She said they were using outdated phrases, like from the 1940s, and their accents were very strange. As they turned to leave, she noticed that they had extremely long feet. It happened again on another occasion, but this time at her workplace. She said I was having a cigarette outside and using my phone when I saw the same feet in strange shoes. I looked up and I saw this thin, pale, grey face staring at me. This time, as I watched him walk away, he made no noise, and I saw that he walked like he was made of plastic. This scared me more than anything. I think I'm being watched now. I constantly catch glimpses of them in passing cars, and in the windows opposite my office building. Reverend Dr. R. W. Bosch is a pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's the author and founder of the Fortean Research Centre and has been a very prolific and renowned researcher. Well, he gave me permission to quote from an interview that he held many years ago about a woman's strange encounters. She said, After work, I was walking to the lot where I park and when I got to my car, there's this guy standing next to my car. I figured he's trying to get into his car next to mine. But when I get closer, he doesn't look right. He was real tall and skinny, and he looked like he was made out of wax. 
really pale and waxy looking, like maybe he was dead or something. He was looking at me all the time, and he says to me, Do not discuss your travels. It is not safe. Real, sort of precise, but in a funny flat voice, with no emotion. I got to the entrance of the lot, and I looked back in my mirror, and he was completely gone. But there wasn't any way he could have got away from where I'd seen him in that little space of time. The reverend asks her, When did the two dead-looking guys come to your door? She says, Somebody knocked at my door. There was the dead-looking guy from the parking lot, or at least somebody who looked a lot like him, and another guy who stood behind him, and looked like he could have been his brother. They both had that dead, waxy look. They said, Your travels with the searchers. It would be unwise to discuss them with anyone. Then they kind of, real jerky-like, walk away. Like some kind of wind-up, walking doll that sort of rocks back and forth when it walks. Real fast and jerky-like. I spent the night in the living room with the lights on. I'm afraid they may show up again and I don't know if I could take it. I'm afraid I'd just go crazy from it. Well, in 1968, in the town of Scarborough, northern England, 16-year-old Adele was home alone. There was a knock at the door. Upon answering it, she was greeted by a tall man in a black suit and tie, who stood on the doorstep smiling wildly at her, for what she later described as an unnerving amount of time, before he spoke. He asked her if she had insurance. She replied that he should come another time when her parents would be home. The man appeared to then start sweating heavily and speaking in what the girl described as like a computerised voice. He took off his hat and she saw that his head was bald and greatly contrasted with the colour of his face, which she then realised was caked in heavy makeup. He asked her if he could see a glass of water. She took this as a request for a drink and she gestured for him to join her in the kitchen. As she handed the glass of water to him, he looked at it before placing it down on the table and didn't drink it. He noticed the clock, and he asked her about it, saying, Is that your father's time? Confused once more, Adele answered that the clock had been a gift to her father. The man continued, Is it here and now? And began repeating the phrase over and over again. She said it was as though he was a robot that had begun to malfunction. He kept saying the same things, and his body was jerking, then seizing up. She said that she noticed he found it difficult to move from the spot he was standing on, and did so only with some difficulty, as though his legs had locked up. However, by the time he got to the end of the garden path, she noticed that he was now walking down the street at an ever-increasing and quite alarming speed. Almost, she said, at superhuman speed. In the district of Crosshill, in the city of Glasgow, two teenage girls were walking home late one night after a party. There was a near full moon, and so, although it was dark, they could see quite well. Suddenly, they see a man in front of them, whose appearance is decidedly odd. He was bald and almost skeletal, with an extremely thin frame. He was dressed all in black. His movements were jittery, as though he was incredibly agitated. As they drew nearer, the hairs on the back of their necks stood up. Walking as quickly as possible past him, they turned again to look at him and were stunned by the oddest expression on his face, which they described as being a contorted combination between a grimace and an unnaturally wide grin. They ran as fast as they could 
and when they looked back over their shoulders in fear that he would catch up with them, he had completely disappeared. There was no possible way, they said, that he could have gone so quickly out of sight in just seconds. There was nowhere for him to have gone, as the road behind them was wide and empty. A man writes that when he was about seven years old, he was sleeping on the couch when there was a big storm. He said he got up to get a drink. A flash of lightning lit up the kitchen. I saw something. There was a figure. I see huge black eyes. His mouth is huge. His smile is much too large to be normal. I mean, almost from ear to ear. I ran out, and needless to say, I couldn't sleep that night. But then about two years later, Mum took my brother and I to meet her partner's parents. Well, we got bored and asked if we could ride the bikes that were in the garage. We rode around on some trails, and we raced each other, pedalling as fast as we could. Suddenly, I heard my brother screaming my name. I turned round, and there was a truck just behind my back tyre. The truck is really old, and I see the driver, and it's the same thing I saw in the kitchen. Those teeth. He was laughing. I got off into the bushes and the truck sped off. My brother saw how big that mouth was. He told people about it. He said that thing is not human. His whole mouth was his face. On another occasion, he decided that maybe we should put his story down in a book. Dan had just graduated high school in 1994. The weekend that followed graduation was a cornucopia of parties. And on that night in 1994, he'd left a graduation party with some of his friends, and they had to drive a couple of them to the other side of town where they lived. It was quite late, and there were very few other cars out. They were headed north on 76th Street, and were stopped at the traffic lights on 76th and Oklahoma Avenue, on the south side of Milwaukee. When the light turned green, they noticed what appeared to be a young woman with blonde hair. On the east side of the street, she'd come out from behind a video store. As she walked, they noticed that her movements were very jerky. In those days, there was a small park on the corner where a few junkies used to loiter. So Dan's initial thought was that she was possibly part of that group. However, one of the guys in the car thought he knew who this young girl was. As they got closer, Dan decided to slow the car down. She seemed to notice them at that moment. With every step she took, she became jerkier. Her hair seemed to bounce more violently. His blood ran cold. The feeling of unnerving eeriness fell over him and knew something was very wrong with what he was seeing. He said we were now crossing paths as she began to walk toward my car. From only a few feet away, I saw her clear as day through the passenger side window. She was wearing a wig and pretending to be a normal person walking down the street. From the back seat, someone said, Oh my God, her eyes! A panic struck everyone. I was told to floor it, which I did without hesitation. We flew down 76th Street, doing at least 60 miles an hour, until we were far enough away to feel somewhat safe. No matter how far away we were, each person struggled to get out of the car, out of fear that this strange woman might be waiting for them in the dark shadows. Even though most of us were now legally adults, we were still not mature enough to grasp who or what we had just seen. There was no frame of reference. Someone said they believed that she was a dead person. The face did not have the appearance of life in it. 
Dan says, as terrible as an experience that night was, this situation would become much worse eventually. One of his friends from that night died of cancer only a few years later. The others became involved with bad crowds, ended up drug addicts or doing time in prison. He says that night seemed to be a harbinger of bad luck for all of us. He says, I often wondered what would have happened if I was on foot that night. What if I'd run into her alone in that empty street? It seems so obvious to me that there would have been no trace left of me. I would have seen her eyes, and not only died in my fear, but my entire body would have been consumed by her.